Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Hello, and welcome to Garden Success. We are so glad you're listening today, and I hope you'll give us a call. We are, are here to answer your questions, to talk about whatever you're interested in within the realm of gardening and horticulture. And so let me give you a number and an email where you can reach me. It's 979-845-5689. 979-845-5689. Or if you want to email perhaps a photo for a plant identification or a diagnosis, it is gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Well, we, uh, we had some r- rain again, and I know my yard is pretty soggy out there walking across the yard. Um, it, it's always kind of, you hate to complain about rain, but uh, sometimes we get too much. And this is just a time when we're reminded of the importance of raised beds when we're building, uh, when we're building a new garden. When we have a raised bed, the excess water drains away, and the soil below is always going to stay wet, but at least some roots can be up there in that well-drained soil, and a lot of plants need that. In fact, very few plants just thrive in soggy conditions. There there are some, but by and large, our vegetables and flowers are going to need to get uh, some more Uh, or some better drainage in order to do well. So uh, it's one of the reasons I like putting the boxes on top of the ground and filling them with a a good growing mix. That seems to, um, uh, you know, work pretty well in terms of uh, getting not only drainage, but also a quality growing media. uh, And you're not having to deal with the heavy clay and try to amend it enough uh, where it'll work pretty good. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and go to the phones uh, first thing here, and we're going to talk to John. Hello, John. Hello. Uh, what's up today? Um, I was wanting to know what is the difference between on mulberry trees. Some of mine have the ovate leaves on them, and then some of the other ones have lobed leaves on them. Yeah. Uh, and I was wondering the difference. Well, it, it it's just genetically within the tree to be able to grow two different kinds of leaves. Sometimes on the same tree, you'll you'll have different kinds. Uh, when when mulberries sprout up out of the ground, those those uh, juvenile leaves that are the ones you know head high and below that you see out on the coming out of the ground, they're going to be a little bit different than the mature leaves as well. So it's nothing, okay. no cause for concern or anything. That's for sure. Well, I just was wondering because I have one in my front yard that's extremely large, and it has the the rounded off leaves on it. Mm-hmm. And some of the other ones that I have around here that weren't as big had the lobed leaves, and I just was wondering if there was a, maybe a variety difference or something. Well, there probably is, and and unless you bought your plant at a nursery or a plant sale, it's probably a seedling, which means the birds planted it for you. And uh, so that's genetically going to be all over the board, depending on what seed landed at your place. Well, all the ones that I have are what I would call volunteers. Okay. Well, unfortunately, mulberry is an exuberant volunteer. Uh, It's one of those plants that, uh, like Chinese tallow and others, that uh, 
once you have some around, you're going to have them popping up everywhere because uh, they, the birds do um, cooperate with that tree in helping it spread itself far and wide. Well, I have plenty of birds to help me do that. That's why I have so many around here. There you go. There you go. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for the call, John. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Our number is 845-5689-979-845-5689. See, I want to go to the emails. There were some emails I didn't get to last week, and one from from Larry was talking about uh, relocating some ferns. Uh, Larry had some ferns growing uh, underneath a tree, and uh, the tree's been lost, and so they need to, uh, to move the ferns. Because uh, full sun and ferns, especially in the summer, that, that doesn't do well. And you can move ferns just about any time. I would wait until they're sprouting up and have at least the start of some fronds on them, just so you can kind of see uh, where they are in terms of, you know, was there any dieback? Or ferns are going to come back out of the ground pretty well. The The freeze we had, the top growth is very good at protecting that. Uh, and so I'm not worried about them being dead, although there is a variation in hardiness of ferns. Some some will uh, be totally not hardy here, but most of the ones you see, and I'm sure the ones you had, are, are, are going to be hardy enough to not really worry about. Uh, and just uh, kind of digging them up. Uh, first, I'd go to where you want to plant them and work in a lot of composted material. Uh, it could be just you know compost or maybe leaves that are rotting that you have. Uh, ferns uh, do well in that rich forest floor environment, and uh, forest floor environment means there's a lot of decaying organic matter on the ground, and so that's a place where they thrive. So I would create create that in the new location, and then you can take the ferns and transplant them at that point. So early early spring maybe be a good time to do it. Uh, if you wanted to do it now. That's fine. It's not gonna not gonna kill them to do that. Uh, but I just like you know being able to see where they're coming up and and kind of uh, target <clears throat> target my digging uh, accordingly. I hope that helps. I hope that helps. Uh, Mary had uh, emailed about some frozen citrus. Uh, fr- citrus, you know when you when when you talk about citrus as a group, there's a pretty big range in hardiness. Uh, we have things like limes, uh, Mexican lime, Tahiti lime, or key lime, or whatever you want to call them, uh, and the lemons, including the Meyer lemon, uh, that are not very hardy at all. And then we have things that, as as you go up from there, we get a little bit hardier. There are a few oranges that have moderate hardiness. Not going to make an orange orchard here in, in the Brazos Valley, for sure. They're not that hardy. Uh, and then the, the hardier ones that people like to plant are satsumas. Satsumas uh, can take it if they're established. They've been in the ground maybe three years and they're well established. You may see a satsuma down in the teens uh, doing okay, Uh, but we certainly would want to cover them. I I cover mine whenever it's like uh, mid to upper 20s. I I don't want to take that chance. But anyway, they're hardy. And then the hardiest of our our citrus that you probably would want to plant uh, would be kumquats, the little things that are about the size of the end of your last joint of your thumb, uh, maybe a little wider than that. But uh, kumquats are the kind that we use for marmalade. They're small, and I say the skin tastes better than the inside, uh, It's a, but it's a very citrusy, of course, uh, and they are extremely hardy. They are hardier even than the satsuma. Now, Mary's picture, there's a, <clears throat> excuse me, there, there is a 
uh, citrus that has died back and uh, it is growing in the ground, which is a good thing for the citrus, but I can't tell where the damage goes back to. It looks pretty extensive, of course, but I would get my thumbnail, and it's been long enough now uh, since the freeze where if tissue was killed, you're going to see the deterioration going on. And by that, I mean when you scrape with your thumb, if it's not green underneath, but it's kind of a, a br pecan brown or paper sack brown uh, or, or some other not green color getting darker than that, that's going to be an indication that that area, of course, is dead and won't come back. And hopefully the base of the plant, at least, will be alive when you scrape it back and check it. Now, re remember that most citrus now is, is grafted onto a rootstock. And often the rootstock will survive, but the graft, the part we want to grow to grow fruit we eat above the rootstock dies. So if you can find living tissues above the graft, and it'll be clear at the base of the tree where it changes and where the graft is. If you can find living tissues above that, then you can regrow your tree. In fact, pretty rapidly because you got this huge root system that now the top's gone. And so it pushes pretty strong, some vigorous new growth. Uh, if, if that's not the case, you're going to see sprouts probably from the rootstock. Uh, and they'll be very vigorous, but you don't want that. That's it's going to be something that is absolutely inedible, and uh, so so you don't want that. Just rub those off. When they're real small, you can take your thumb and just rub them right off the trunk. Uh, and so just the, above the graft is going to be the key. It may be it's probably going to be into March when you you really see some the beginning of some growth, or even April, even more likely, uh, you get a little bit more growth going. But I would not give up on it. I would do that scratch and check test, working your way down to the bottom. And then based on what you find, uh, we're going to hope that there's something that will come back there. Uh, Bill had an uh, email uh, asking about some soggy spots uh, in his St. Augustine yard. And uh, just kind of wondering what, what could be done. Uh, I've addressed something like this uh, just recently, so I, I may have already talk to you, Bill, but um, a mushy spot, if, if the rest of the ground is solid and then you step in this one little spot and it's mushy, I don't know what's going on there. I mean, that's a, that's a kind of unusual situation. Something's changing in the soil in that spot right there, unless it's right above a water leak or something, but I doubt that. You would know that. Uh, you can't really fix that with top dressing. Uh, if the if the area is sunken, yes, you can top dress. Uh, top dress means spread some stuff on top of the soil over the over the turf, and the turf will crawl back in from the sides. Uh, it St. Augustine doesn't do well surviving if it's completely covered up. It's not going to pop through the the top dressing like Bermuda and Zoysia will, but uh, it will crawl in rapidly from the sides as the weather warms up. So that would be about the only thing I would know to suggest to you, Bill. Uh, maybe a photo of it. If, if you think a photo would show it, uh, I'd welcome uh, taking a look at that. I think that that's, that's kind of going to gonna be pretty good. You're, I think you have some zoysia as well. Uh, and Rhonda had an email, and it was about a metal livestock water tank. <clears throat> metal livestock water tanks uh, are really good for... Uh, um, gardening in. And I talked about this last week, but I want to I want to mention it again cuz I keep seeing the little um, types of raised beds that are metal and and corrugated corrugated 
and that you can put together modularly. So you can make a long straight bed, you can make an L shape or C shape. And I talked about these last week, but I think that they're, those modular ones are good because they're variable, but the old livestock water troughs are pretty good too. Just keep in mind that when you have a container, you don't have to have more than probably about 18 inches of soil to grow most anything you would want to grow. Now there's nothing wrong with having deeper container, but that alone will, will get you through most things. So when you fill those up, it's going to take quite a bit of, of growing mix to do it. But first, drill a bunch of holes with a quarter inch bed or so uh, in the bottom so that you know you can have good drainage uh, going out the bottom. And I would put a few holes around the bottom on the side. The the, at the bottom of the side because sometimes when they they sit on soil maybe they're sitting on a clay and it it's hard for the water to move at any rate at all down through that hole in the clay so either put them up on bricks or any kind of thing to kind of lift them off the ground or make sure you get holes in the side where the water can at least go sideways out into the air and uh, and drain pretty well uh, let's go to the phones now a uh, number Eight four five five six eight nine, and we're going to talk to Suzanne. Hello, Suzanne. Hello. How are you? Well, I'm well. How can I help oh, today? Okay. Well, I have a question about vegetable crop rotation. I do have the raised boxes, as you just spoke about a little while ago. They're a foot off the ground. I have five of them, and I'm interested in the rotation. You hear about don't plant your tomatoes and the same place every year, and I've been trying to rotate, but I was uh, just wondering, is that just tomatoes, or is that for all your crops? I heard you talk about the squash vine board right. last week, I believe, so right. should you try to, you know, rotate all of your crops, or just certain vegetables? It, by and large, all the crops, uh, but it's really based on that crop's problem that you're trying to not build up. So I'll use your your um, squash vine borer example. When the vine borer gets through decimating your squash, it drops to the ground, turns into a pupa, goes in the ground. So that spot is going to have vine borer emerging right there next year. Now, if you have it covered to avoid getting vine borers from flying in and laying eggs on your squash, you've just trapped these new ones inside the cafeteria, and so it didn't do any good. So if you rotate and then do the cover, you can kind of avoid the vine borer that way. You're right that uh, there are tomato diseases, root diseases that can build up. There are some other insects that can build up with certain crops. But having said that, and having said that as a general principle, crop rotation is a good thing, uh, I'd have to say that unless you have a lot of beds, it's probably not going to be a practical thing for you. Uh, some people just have, you know, four by, I don't know, 16 feet or so of bed, and so there's really nowhere to go. And, and you know, you can go to the other end of the bed, but the roots are going all the way across that bed anyway on some of the plants like tomatoes. And so that's not going to be that helpful. So I, I guess that's somewhat of a yes and no reply. Uh, okay. But certainly if you see a problem and let's say you call us and we say, yeah, that's that's going to be one that's present in the soil, then I would ro try to rotate away. Another good example would be nematodes. So uh, with nematodes, when you have nematodes in a spot, you kind of are limited to 
pretty much to grass plants, which would be corn in the vegetable garden, uh, <clears throat> because they attack just about everything, seems like. Is there a certain, I was looking at the website, I believe it, it was an extension website out of Lubbock. It was AgriLife, uh, and they show like a diagram, like if you had like, it showed it like broke it down in four areas like Yes. Your your tomatoes should follow like your yes. broccoli and stuff like that. Is there do y'all is there anything uh that y'all have there at the extension office in in Brazos County that, that I could pick up? That we don't have a chart at the county level printed out. You might try on Aggie Horticulture in the vegetable section and see, but those kind of rotation charts are available everywhere and it doesn't matter if it comes from Mississippi or New Mexico. I mean, the, a rotation is a rotation because what they're doing is they're, let's say one year you're growing what's called a solanaceous crop, and that would be vet, uh, tomatoes and peppers and eggplant. And, and so the next year you go to a different family of vegetables. So maybe uh -huh. you would do the cucumber and melon family of vegetables that year. Do you see what I'm saying? And, yes, and, okay. and those just, just follow one of those if you're going to try to rotate, and that'll be just fine. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. You answered my questions there. And all right. Uh, uh, thank you very much. Thank you for calling, Suzanne. Uh, bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. Our phone number nine seven nine eight four five five six eight nine eight four five fifty six eighty nine or by email at garden success at t a m u dot e d u garden success at t a m u dot e d u Speaking of email, Elizabeth emails a picture of a Christmas cactus, and it's got sunken spots on some of the little pads, the little leaf-like structures on, on, the, on the plant. Uh, when I look at those, that, that looks like some sort of a disease to me. Now, it could be, uh, since you're, you're watering with city water, you know, it could be that some spots where the water just sat and maybe the sodium uh, was a little bit of an issue. I haven't seen that. And that kind of symptom, though, from that on this particular type of plant, I think some way with moist foliage and, and the humidity and everything, you had some sort of an organism that's working on it. I don't see anything looks like a insect crawled up there and ate it away. So you might want to break some of those off uh, and avoid any kind of watering that would splash from one uh, pad segment to another. Uh, and I think you, that would be okay. I don't see a need to treat it, uh, and I wouldn't know really what uh, fungicide or, or bactericide uh, would would be recommended for such a thing without getting a positive identification of the specific disease. So I hope that helps. Um, by the way, those of you who haven't grown Christmas cactus or Thanksgiving cactus, uh, those two are really fun and really easy to grow. I had one that I had out hanging underneath the the eaves of a back patio. It was just there in the summer, and I'd water it. Now, i got to tell you, there's a saying that the cobbler's kids go barefoot. So there are times when my plants don't get the water that I recommend plants get. Uh, and just because I'm gone or, you know, I walk by and I don't see it and think about it. Uh, and so it went dry several times. And, and this species, even though it has cactus in the name, doesn't want to be dry. Uh, but it can tolerate dry because it has those succulent leaves. It does okay. Uh, but if you want it to really grow, you need to keep it moderately moist. Don't have a very 
very dry extended period. But they're easy. And I, so like I said, mine went through stresses and things. Uh, what I'll typically do is leave it outside uh, as the weather starts to cool a little bit. And when, when the nights are getting in you know, the upper 50s or so, uh, somewhere in there, I'll go ahead and bring it in. Uh, and it's experiencing a shortening day length at that time of the year, and it'll set the buds itself. Once they have buds on them, you need to really take care of them. That's where they become, uh, you know, little prima donnas in terms of demanding certain care. If you let a Christmas cactus dry out uh, when it has a bunch of buds, those buds are almost sure to fall off of that of that plant. Uh, it just doesn't put up with that. So give it the, the extra care. Don't move it uh, from one light level to another uh, suddenly and don't try fertilizing it at that time and other things. Just enjoy the blooms as long as you can. Uh, but Christmas cactus is, is good. Now Thanksgiving cactus is basically uh, the same type of plant. They look a little different. The, the little um, lobes on the the stem pads, they, they are appointed uh, on a Christmas cactus and rounded on a Thanksgiving cactus. Uh, and so they, they're called that because those, of course, are two big holidays, but it's because one of them blooms earlier due to day, -like, day length changes than the other one. So the one that, that uh, just starting to get shorter kicks it into bloom is the Thanksgiving cactus and the Christmas cactus. The days need to get a little bit shorter for it to, to kick into its bloom as well. Probably more than you want to know about that plant, but I, I think more people should try to grow them. They are not that difficult. And uh, once you have them, you can enjoy a bigger and bigger plant each year. Well, our phone number is 979-845-5689. 845 or by email at gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Let's talk a little bit about things going on around town, horticulturally, garden-wise. Uh, this Saturday, January 28th, at 10 a.m. at the Gardens on campus at Texas A&M out on West Campus. If you've never been there, you got to go, and this Saturday is a good reason to do it. Uh, we're going to start a five-part series uh, of uh, Master Gardeners and I teaching at the gardens a variety of classes. It's January th this Friday, or excuse me, Saturday, um, at 10 a.m. I'll be talking about fruit trees. So I'll talk a little bit about the different types of fruit trees, uh, how to plant them, how to care for them, um, you know, just do I, do I need two for pollination and how do I prune them and things. And if the weather cooperates, which it's kind of iffy right now, uh, we will step out of the, the pavilion, the covered indoor pavilion where we will be doing the talk, and we'll walk through the orchard a little bit and kind of see some hands-on uh, looking, oh, that's what that looks like when you do it that way. Uh, and I'll be answering questions as we go also. So if you have purchased fruit trees, haven't planted them yet, or, or you, you would like to, uh, I would encourage you to come out. It's free, 10 a.m. at the Gardens on campus this Saturday. Uh, parking is free and open to the community on, on the weekend like that. And so you can you can go to the Gardens at Texas A&M, the web page, and look for the parking and transportation information. And it'll tell you the lots where, where you can park there. Uh, and so you don't have to pay parking and walk a long, long way uh, to get there. 
I hope you'll come out. By the way, uh, in in February, the plan is to do roses, Earthkind roses. Well, of course, February is the month where people think about roses. Uh, we'll have other talks going through about vegetables and plant propagation and pollinators. Uh, and those will all be uh, taught by our master gardeners. Uh, the same thing on Saturday at 10, uh, and it's free. Other things going on around town. Uh, the Post Oak chapter of the Native Plant Society uh, on uh, today, this evening, Thursday, February 2nd, at 6.30 p.m. Uh, is a program by Dr. Baron Rector. He's Associate Professor and Range Specialist at Texas A&M. And he's going to talk about prairie change and weeds. Prairie change and weeds. And if you've never heard Dr. Rector speak before, you need to. Uh, you'll be out of breath by the end of the talk because he has so much information and he is a, a quintessential teacher. He communicates with people at every level of education at, in the best way in the world and I, I very impressive uh, communicator. Uh, so if you are at all interested in native plants uh, or just interested in learning about prairies and the change in, in the weeds that, that uh, you deal with out there, uh, I encourage you to check that out. That will be at Lick Creek Park at the Nature Center at Lick Creek Park uh, out southeast of College Station a little bit. I guess it's actually becoming east now because College Station is going so far south. What used to be southeast is now east. Uh, anyway, tonight, 6.30 p.m. Also today at 6.30 p.m. Uh, at the Larry Ringer Library, which is on Harvey Mitchell Parkway. Uh, in College Station. Uh, the Gardens at Texas A&M will present Joseph Johnson talking about roses. You can learn about all things roses. And Joseph has a wealth of information and also a very good communicator, uh, making for an enjoyable, very educational uh, experience. You'll learn about the different types of roses. You'll learn about rose care and maintenance tips, uh, how to plant a rose, uh, you know, the, the important things you need to know to enjoy your roses. That is at the Larry Ringer Library, 6.30 to 7.30, and it's also free of charge. It's on Harvey Mitchell Parkway tonight. On Saturday, February, or excuse me, I had the wrong, wrong date here. On Tuesday, February the 14th, the Brazos County Rose Society is meeting. So that's, that's coming up soon, uh, not next week, but very soon. And uh, James Knipe, a Brazos Valley Master Gardener, is going to be speaking on roses. And so if you're interested in attending, uh, give, give Maggie a call. The number is 778-4252. If you're scrambling for a pen, I'll wait a minute and give it again. Uh, James is, is one of our Master Gardeners, and he's going to also be teaching about roses at that meeting of the Brazos County Rose Society, where, of course, you can pick the brains of a lot of folks. Uh, the number, 778-4252. That's Tuesday, February 14th. Uh, let's see, on Saturday, the 7th, uh, the Rio Brazos Audubon Society is meeting, the Rio Brazos Audubon Society, and they meet out at the Gary Halter Nature Center in Lick Creek Park also, uh, out Rock Prairie Road. Uh, they're going to have a birding 101 uh, walk and talk. So you'll you'll learn the basics of, of birding. You'll get to walk around and, and um, you know, try out the uh, 
binoculars. If you have some, bring them. If they don't, they usually have some on hand that you can use. Uh, and they'll talk about uh, how to identify birds, uh, for not just by visual, but uh, even the songs that they have out there. So if you're interested in birding, Rio Brazos Audubon, Saturday, February 7th, that's next Saturday, uh, out at Lick Creek Park. Well, our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Uh, one thing I want to, I did want to say uh, one other thing. I, I wanted to give you one more date, if I could, before I forget. That's the a and Garden Club. And that's Friday, February 10th at 9.30 in the morning. And it's at Peace Lutheran Church, which is on Rio Grande Boulevard. Uh, it's also just off of uh, the um, Harvey Metro Parkway. Uh, there, let's see, aeroponic gardening will be the topic. Uh, Lisette Templin, who's the director of the Tamu Urban Farm, will talk about aeroponic gardening. Uh, that's a really cool um, operation that they have going where they are growing things. Uh, I would say hydroponically, but it's actually aeroponically, and you'll learn about the difference. Uh, they're not growing in standing water. They're growing, the, the uh, roots are being sprayed with the solution. So that'll be kind of cool to learn about that. That's 9.30 a.m., Peace Lutheran Church, Rio Grande Boulevard, Texas, or the A&M Garden Club. Uh, I want to talk about the uh, vegetable things we need to be doing now, the activities that we need to be taking care of. Uh, this is the big time for spring vegetable gardening. And uh, it's, it's one of the traffic jams of the year in the garden. Uh, and by that, I mean that our cool season plants are still going strong and producing well. In fact, we're planting some of them to, to produce even later. And our warm season plants are about to go in. They'll start going in typically in March. So what happens is we've got productive plants still there, and then you're wanting to put your tomatoes out and squash and cucumbers and things. And so you kind of have a traffic jam in the gardens, and that's coming up in March when that happens. Uh, but right now we can still plant beets, uh, th those uh, root crops like beets and carrots. Uh, radishes can be planted at this time of the year. Uh, turnips, of course, uh, can be planted, another root crop. The uh, blue leaf vegetables, cruciferous vegetables, uh, kale, collards, cauliflower, kohlrabi, um, what am I leaving out? Um, broccoli, how could I forget broccoli and cabbage? Uh, it's a cabbage family. So those can all go in now as transplants also. So if you, if you want to get some of those out, now is a good time to do it. You can plant leeks if you can find the little sets right now. It's a little early to get seed going. Maybe you can start them inside. But if you have the transplants, those can go in any time from oh, mid-January to the almost the end of February. Uh, so uh, not many people that I've talked to are uh, planting the, the leeks. So maybe we need to try a trial of that sometime, see how they do. Uh, bulbing onions. This is a big time for bulbing onions. In fact, there's, there's three big important things to do right now in the vegetable garden in terms of crops. One of them is if you want to grow asparagus, you need to plant it now. Now in February, get those crowns in the ground. They're bare root. They're called crowns. It's the plant with the roots. 
dig a trench, put them in the bottom, fill it with uh, enriched organic matter, enriched soil. And as the plants, as the crown starts to grow, just keep adding more until you fill the trench. Uh, you, won't, you don't want to bury it, you know, a foot deep and cover it completely with, with uh, soil right away, but just let it sprout up and then keep adding a little bit. And those crowns will, will grow and soon be strong enough to be producing asparagus for you. The second thing that we're planting right now is potatoes. Uh, these are the the red potatoes and the white potatoes or even the yellow uh, potatoes. Uh, and by the way, our garden centers are loaded up right now. There's fruit trees galore at these places. Uh, that wherever your favorite garden center is, give them, a, give them a, a shout out and swing by. Find out what they got there. All kinds of fruit trees. I've been looking and talking to some of the garden center managers and they're loaded up. They've got uh, onion plants in, they've got potatoes in. With the potatoes, you want to get them home, cut them into chunks, oh, about the size of an egg if you can, and maybe at least two eyes, two eyes is enough, but two eyes on them. Turn them up where the cut side's up and let them dry for a few days. Uh, that kind of, they say that heals, I don't know if heals a good ter word for that, but it, it, it uh, dries up that cut surface, and then you can plant the, the potatoes. And I'll come back and talk about onions in just a moment. Right now, we're going to go to the phones, and the phone number, by the way, is 845-5689. And we're going to talk to Suzanne. Hello, Suzanne. Hello. Is the second call out? I called earlier. <laughs> it, it is. It seems to be a slow day, so you're in, you picked a good time. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit about the three sisters planting the corn, the pole beans, and the squash? And I also read somewhere where you can plant cucumbers next to your, I guess, uh, your corn mm -hmm. to, like, travel up, you know, vine up. Uh, right. Can you say about all of this? I, I don't know, like, what the right time to plant. If I want to try planting some corn, and mm -hmm. then when should I put in the pole beans, and then when should the squash go in, since they all kind of go in about the same time. They do. Or maybe the corn, about the corn might go in a little sooner? Uh, it could go in a little sooner than, than the other two, but maybe a couple of, a week or two sooner, but that's about it. Um, I, those are all going to be planted in March. You start, I would say start about mid-March. You can go a little earlier with the corn. You can go early March if you want. Uh, that's on the the very, very early end of when we recommend planting it. And the whole idea with the, the Three Sisters is the corn, of course, grows up, and it provides the harvest of the corn uh, as it's growing. Uh, and you can pull corn together and sort of make a teepee out of corn stalks. And your vining crops, like a cucumbers, but in this case, a squash could also be planted in there, uh, that that would be something that goes up the corn, pole beans could also go up the corn. Uh, I, most of the squashes that, ha that are vining and have heavier fruit, uh, the corn stalk's not going to do a good job of supporting them. Uh, for example, a pumpkin would, would be too much. But uh, you can put them together, let them grow around the base. Uh, but the pole beans is a good thing to send up the corn stalk. It's kind of a, it's a it has a historical um, uh, yeah. Native American connection. Uh, there are people that advocate for the benefit of some of those plants being together. Uh, I would say one thing I could see is there are probably not too many pests and diseases that are going to attack uh, more than one of those plants. So it's not like you're, something gets on your corn and now it's eating up your cucumbers or beans, for example. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
I'm going to give it a try. I, I haven't done that, but I've read a little bit about it, so uh, All right. I like to experiment. Well, have fun. That You know, okay, gardening, you. That's, that's what we do is we have fun. <laughs> yes, that's right. Okay, thank you for taking my second call. No problem. Thank you, Suzanne. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Our number is 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U, gardensuccess at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. I want to say something about that. Gardening is fun. A, a lot of times, and I guess this happens with a lot of different hobbies, but people uh, feel like they're not having enough success or they feel like if they try something they're going to fail at it and I think we need to give ourselves permission to fail uh, I, someone said once that to be a good horticulturist you got to kill a lot of plants and that is true that's very true I learn a lot uh, from my failures uh, Jimmy Turner used to be the uh, director of the Dallas Botanical Garden and he said he says that the success of his garden is built on the compost of his failures. And I think that's a pretty good, pretty good example. You know, it, it's like the, I've used this analogy long ago, but uh, it's like an Etch-a-Sketch. Do any of you remember Etch-a-Sketches? You kind of drew on them with two knobs and inevitably you'd want to go left and you'd go right. You know, your brain hand connection wasn't working. And all you had to do is turn it upside down and shake it and everything went away and you got to start over. Well, the equivalent of turning it upside down and shaking it is a good rototiller. <laughs> so if you get a crop started and it's not succeeding or it didn't succeed, pull it out, plant something else. I find that some years a particular crop does really well and other years not so well. Uh, and that's just part of nature and it's okay to try it out. It's okay uh, to fail. And so have fun. You know, we're, it's not like we're having to grow food to keep ourselves alive, although uh, it's nice to have such a, a skill and a hobby, uh, but it's okay to fail. Uh, you would like to learn before you go out and plant so that you don't plant a tomato in May, for example. That one's not going to be a productive plant uh, too late. And at the same time, learning how to space plants out, learning uh, the kinds of species and varieties that do best, that's all good. But go out and have fun. Uh, it's it's more fun if you learn first because you're going to have success more likely. Uh, but go out go out and enjoy and have fun. Enjoy the garden and my goodness, get get kids involved too. Uh, this is a lifelong hobby. It it it's one of the top hobbies in the country, and it is a hobby that uh, you know from the time you're toddling along to uh, the time when you're barely able to walk. Uh, gardening is. A hobby that spans our life, our lifetime. It's a hobby that brings good uh, health in terms of physical activity. Uh, it's a, a hobby that brings good mental health. Uh, and we had Charlie Hall on here a good while back, or actually we did a rerun of him just the other day. And uh, you learned about that socio-horticulture and the many benefits of plants and nature in general. And so I just think more people need to have fun and not sweat it. Let us help you get off to a good start as best you can, but then you go out there and do it. And you're just going to get smarter each time, more skilled each time. And when you hear the term green thumb, all it means is somebody who has learned and done over time, and that's what makes your thumb green. Our phone number is 845 5689 845 5689 
and uh, by email gardensuccess at tamu.edu. I want to uh, mention I was talking about some things to do in the garden and I didn't get to the onion part. Onion transplants are sold as little bundles in the garden centers and they're there now. You can buy white onions, yellow onions, red onions, uh, and, and our local uh, garden centers are carrying good, well-adapted varieties for the area. What you do is you, of course, Take the rubber band off, open the bundle, and get the, those individual plants, and you plant them as deep as the first joint on your thumb. So that's a good built-in transplant gauge for onions. Uh, in fact, you can use your, I said first joint on your thumb, your index finger. You use your index finger to make a hole, and then you use your index finger to, to or your hand to, to cover them up. Make sure the soil firms in around them, water them in well, and then do everything you can to keep them growing fast. So that means they never dry out. That means that they're getting really good sunlight. It means that they're not too crowded. So think about how big that onion you want to grow is, and that's about how far apart you're going to plant your onions. Uh, and part of, the, part of the success in an onion is that vigor, and here's why. Uh, if, if you've ever grown onions and you couldn't get big onions, uh, it's probably because you didn't have big plants. Not at the start, but at the time when bulbing occurs. So that onion plant you're going to be planting this week, it's going to grow and grow and grow and get bigger and bigger, hopefully with adequate water and fertilizer and sunlight. And at some point, when, as the day length gets longer, it initiates bulbing in the plant, and the plant starts to produce the bulb. Each ring of your onion is a leaf. If you were to, to cut, a, cut across an onion sideways, not the way we normally slice them for onion rings, that a growing plant, you would see that each ring is just the base of a leaf that goes up and connects to a leaf. So if you have a small plant with three leaves, how big of an onion can you have? If you've got a big robust plant with many leaves, you're going to have a bigger onion at that point in time. So that's why growing fast is important with onions. Little small doses of nitrogen fertilizer to push them along periodically, just keep them growing well and they'll do well. And uh, onions are easy to grow here. You know, they, they store, they're supposed to store for some of them three months, typically three months, four months is a typical onion storage range. Some of them will go longer, like six months. I have some from last year's garden that are still hanging around. Uh, now they've, I made a little onion braid and they're hanging in the kitchen. And some of them have sprouted here and there as we've gone through. But I just watch them, make sure there's not a rotten onion on the braid. Uh, and uh, I still have a few onions from last year. So I don't know. Those onions can't read. And by the way, plants can't read. Uh, if they could read, they would know that they don't store for this long. But they sure did uh, this year. Some store better than others. So onions, good thing, good thing to get out there and do. Uh, if you are um, having some issues, have had some issues with your lawn, uh, the drought from last year was devastating to lawns, and anything that stresses a lawn uh, predisposes it to problems. Uh, number one, you get dieback. Uh, number two, you can get um, a disease called take-all root rot. So other than just the drought dieback on a, on a lawn uh, plants, you're going to have a disease that goes in and causes the roots to die, and when the roots die, of course, the plant follows. Uh, and so you start to get irregular dead areas, and it's stress-related. And so I would be extra 
uh, careful to take care of things because I would think we're going to see a lot of that next year. I guess I'll be proven right or wrong when the time comes. But I've noticed that when you stress the, the St. Augustine especially, but it can attack Bermuda and Zoysia too, um, when you stress it, we often see more take-all root rot on that kind of plant, on that situation. So you want to watch for that. You may be resodding some areas of your lawn just if the dieback was enough. I've seen some yards around town that almost need a redo. Uh, and then finally, uh, you're going to want to take care of any weeds. Now, normally I don't recommend you just go out and use weed control herbicides on an annual basis. But if you've got a weed problem, you need to prevent it is it's much better to prevent it than it is to try to kill it once it's growing. And so a pre-emergence herbicide would prevent the weeds from sprouting. We need to get those down by mid-February. Now every year is different. Some years, and, and weeds sprout based on soil temperature. So just as you can imagine, uh, some years it stays cooler longer. Some years it uh, it uh, gets warm a little bit faster. So uh, what I would what I would recommend is about mid-February is a good time. And I'll come back and make some more comments on that in a moment. Uh, right now I want to go to the phones and talk to John. Hello, John. Do we have you there, John? All right, let's talk to David. Hello, David. Hi, how's it going? Uh, well, thank you. How can I help? Oh, well, I'm mostly just do you a favor and give you a break from your for your <clears throat> monologue. You, no, you, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I, you're giving I, the I, listeners I, I, a break from my monologue. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were talking about citrus, and you're going to talk about citrus on, on – uh, Saturday, yes, and yes. my wife and I include the gardens in our and our oftentimes uh, bike bike hike. So we we go there a lot. Uh, just be prepared for some pretty sad looking uh, citrus trees because I don't know if they covered them or not there, uh, but yeah. they pretty heavily damaged. Yeah, I uh, I figured that. I haven't been out there to see them since that last freeze we had, but you know that that's just. It's just typical that they're brand new plants. I mean, not brand new, but they're not a right, year, right. year old, hardly, and and uh, so they're just not ready. Yeah. Well, they did they did cover them <clears throat> back in uh, Snowmageddon, and mm -hmm. and I think I don't remember if some of them survived or not. But anyway, I had planted an uh, an Arctic frost, uh, which is uh, I believe that's what it's called. Anyway, it's the one of considered probably the most uh, the hardiest of the satsumas okay <clears throat> there's the orange frost and then the arctic frost and uh, i put it on the uh after having one freeze with snowmageddon i thought okay i'm gonna put it on the south uh southeast side of my uh, house mm -hmm. kind of up against close to the house mm -hmm. i did cover it during the last freeze the best thing i had really was an old uh, like a mattress piece of plastic that was around a mattress so it, it, it i could put it over it mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh it was actually pretty tall it had grown a lot and only the one full year of growth it just blew up i mean it just grew like crazy uh lots of vigorous growth on it i put a uh 100 watt uh incandescent bulb underneath mm -hmm. uh because i'm trying my best to keep it going yeah and even despite all that i got a lot of uh, i got quite a bit of uh dead tissue mm -hmm. however <clears throat> a lot of it probably two-thirds or more three-fourths of it survived and even though the leaves fell off it's putting out new growth already it's got little shoots 
I did not look at it after last night. I hope we don't get any more hard freezes because I'm sure those new shoots are not going to do yeah. very well. Uh, but just to let you know, actually, believe it or not, you'd meant something about maybe not seeing anything till March. It's, mine's already putting out shoots. Yeah, so, uh, that, that's that's <clears throat> not surprising. I've seen some doing that. I just you know I hate for people to give up on a plant when it might <laughs> it might still bounce right. back, especially if the sure, damage sure. is severe. It may be you may have one bud sprouted near the base, and so. Uh, but right. well, that's that's good to know. And did your did your plastic extend all the way to the ground? Yes, okay. I actually had to. Uh, it wasn't long enough. It's really, like I said, the the tree and just again one year's growth is. Mm-hmm. probably seven feet tall and so so i uh i cut it back some i put the the uh the big piece of plastic over the top and then i <clears throat> i wrapped another uh amount a uh, sheet around it and then i used clothespins to seal it all up and of course uh, when you're in a hurry uh it was a little opening that i overlooked or maybe the wind blew it open i don't know because you know there was a lot of wind mm-hmm. and uh and so it wasn't completely sealed, but uh, okay. but it was still it's still pretty pretty good. And of course, a hundred watt bulb puts out a fair amount of heat, as you know. Yes. And and as you've told listeners before, you're not trying to keep it warm; you're just trying to keep it from Above being freezing. really cold. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, good. Uh, so I, anyway, so I hope it does. Well. It was yeah, it was successful. Uh, I would say quite successful. And as long as uh, I hope I don't have to cover it again this year because it's a pain, but. but right. uh, but of course, I took everything off, and and uh, and it's doing doing okay. Well, so I just wanted to let you know about that. Thank you, thank you, uh, David. I appreciate that. Uh, and those listening, I'm going to be out there at the gardens at 10 a.m. on Saturday talking fruit trees. And unless it's raining, we'll walk over to the citrus, and I'll show you how to check for damage on your citrus if you are curious about that. So that that'll right. be a good hands-on yep. opportunity. Hey, thanks, David. I appreciate yeah. your call. Yeah. Yeah, and I was going to say, you will find some damage. I promise you that. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> okay. All, All right. right. Bye-bye. Well, let's go back to the phones and talk to John. Hello, John. Good morning. I just I just wanted to ask you a question. Mary's got uh, some artichoke seeds that she is just bound and determined to plant. Can she expect to get anything right now? Um, boy. I have not tried planting seed this late, and I would say probably not. Uh, you can grow your own transplants and put them out. And I would say if you go, if you want to, go ahead and plant them and get them started. Uh, get them growing, and then maybe next year. Artichoke is moderately hardy. I mean, it can take some cold, but not, you know, the bad stuff we've had occasionally. So you may have to cover it. But if it can get through the winter, then you'll have a really good yield the next year. And so we're basically just grow a transplant this year and, and put it in the ground and I, I think that's year. yeah I think that's what I would try to do uh, some garden centers I haven't seen them here in this area but some garden centers will buy the the root or crown the base and big old chunk and you buy those and put them in the ground and you're hit hit the ground running the first year so I'd, I'd say give it a try and let me know how it does too if, will do. if y'all do that she, she likes to try the weird stuff so anyway i know but that's the fun part right Right. (laughs) i know a lot of people are meat and potatoes you know i'm going to grow beans i'm going to grow corn i'm not going to change varieties and so on and then some people are out there uh, looking for strange vegetables online from timbuktu that they're going to bring here and try (laughs) okay well thank you john thank you for the call i appreciate that 
Uh, going to the email, we had a question from uh, Randall about a crepe myrtle. And as I look at the picture, the crepe myrtle is very upright. I mean, all the, it's just going straight up. almost looks like a pear tree that, uh, in terms of its, its upright growth habit. Uh, and the question is, how do you prune something like that to bring it down? Because, you know, we talk about don't just chop them all off head high like you see, unfortunately, done all over town. Uh, but it, there's not a good way to prune in that situation. Uh, some varieties of crepe myrtle are very prone to upright growth. We'll say more of a vase shape. Uh, some uh, spread out better and make you know you know a larger a larger uh, size in terms of width a larger plant and those as it's growing you can kind of work with it and deal with it this one in the pictures in the shade if it's in the shade a lot of the day that's probably part of the problem and maybe relocating it would be something to consider Randy uh, another thing that I've seen done uh, and and yours has not been butchered but those that are butchered and people say well now I got this horrible thing that for the rest of its life is going to look like this I've known people to cut them back to the ground and let them sprout up you're going to get a ton of sprouts and you're going to be dealing with sprouts for quite a while uh, but pick you know three or four maybe three to be trunks may hopefully going out in a little bit different directions and then as they get up a certain height you top them and you cause them to branch and you sort of build this candelabra of crepe myrtle by starting over that's a drastic move uh, for most people that would be unacceptable to try to do that but I just put it out there that it is a possibility it's one of the options that you have but on this one without any side branching you know I, I <laughs> I just don't know what to tell you. It, it's gonna, you're gonna end up with those. It's gonna look like the top of a telephone pole when you cut it off, and, and then it'll get all the knobby growth that that comes from that. So, uh, that's uh, that's unfortunate. But sometimes plants just don't cooperate with us too. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but. I have these great ideas of what I want a plant to do and be, and then the plant has a little bit of a different <laughs> idea itself, uh, and so. That's part of the thing I was saying. Have fun. Don't be afraid. You know, you can always go buy another one uh, and you can enjoy it that way. Uh, we are in a, a prime planting time for a lot of things right now, and we're about to run out of time today. But I just want to talk a little bit about if you want to plant perennials, uh, uh, all kinds of perennials like uh, irises and uh, uh, different salvias, for example, things like that. Uh, now's a good time to plant the perennials out in your garden. Uh, they'll get a, a settling in and they'll take off and give you a really good head start and look look really, really well. And there are a lot of different um, uh, types of perennials that you can see. I was talking to the folks at the Rosenporum uh, the other day, and, and my gosh, there's there's just all kinds of different perennials and plants that they brought in. And, you know, some of the ones we're familiar with, like plumbago that have the blue flowers, they're tougher than you think. They they really do well. My favorite genus of all plants, and I, boy, it's hard to ask a horticulturist, what's your favorite plant? Uh, but my favorite genus is salvia. There are so many good salvias. Now, you can have the little annual bedding plants with a little red top that stay squatty short and for a flower bed. But I'm talking about all the salvias that get larger. Uh, there's, uh, you know, the, the um, salvia maynite. Uh, maynite makes almost a ground cover. You can see some of these out at the gardens, by the way. Uh, maynite spreads out and has beautiful spikes coming up. Uh, there is, uh, used to be indigo spires. Now we have mystic spires. 
Spires and Misty that are just shorter versions, stockier versions of Indigo Spires. Salvia Gregii is an awesome native, Texas native that, that does really well. And there's just a whole bunch of new ones, just just a whole bunch of new ones. I, as I start naming them, I'm thinking about all the ones I didn't name. Uh, Salvia Garanitica, uh, Blue Anise Sage uh, is a beautiful plant with dark blue. And by the way, uh, hummingbirds love those blooms too. So I'm talking about salvias, but in general, uh, perennials, great time to be planting those. Very important to get those fruit trees planted. Uh, this is the only time of year you can get bare root plants, which are a little more economical. Got to get them in. Get them in soon. And if you're planting containers, get them in. Get them in soon. For your ornamental shrubs, woodies, get them in and get them in soon because hot weather is coming and the better of a root system that plant has had time to develop, the more likely it is to survive that first critical hot summer. And to say hot summer is redundant because it's always hot here in the summer. We don't we may call it a cool summer, but it ain't cool. And so I, I encourage you to get out, do some gardening. I realize we got wet soil and soggy may have some rain this weekend, but there is so much to do. If you can't get out and plant, at least get inside and plan and and figure out that next wonderful garden. And even on a rainy day, you can get in the garage and plant a container. We'll look forward to talking to you again next Thursday. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.